Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney and Darian. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today, we're sharing our tips for nutrition and lifestyle strategies to reduce inflammation. Inflammation is the immune system's defense mechanism designed to protect us against disease, infection, injury, and even stress. In the short term, it's actually a really good thing, but we don't want inflammation sticking around in the long term because it can lead to pain and even chronic disease within itself. So today we're going to talk all about how we can avoid and reduce unnecessary inflammation by eating certain foods that have anti-inflammatory effects, limiting foods that have pro-inflammatory effects, and adopting lifestyle strategies that have been linked with lower levels of inflammation in the body. Yeah, inflammation is a very kind of hot topic in nutrition. I find myself being asked a lot with clients, you know, what's inflammation? What does it do in my body? Like, how do I reduce inflammation? So this is going to be a really educational one for our listeners today. Before we dive into the conversation on how to reduce inflammation, I do think it's important to understand inflammation a little bit better. And there really are two types of inflammation that we want to distinguish between. Yeah, so those are acute and chronic inflammation. So acute inflammation occurs when our body senses harm, like an infection or some type of a threat. And our body works to fight it off to protect ourselves in the short term. So it's actually a really good thing. So mm -hmm. for example, if you do a tough workout, mm -hmm. you're going to have acute inflammation in the muscle, and then your body's going to work hard to repair it, and then that's how you get stronger. So we want that inflammation over the short term to actually adapt to the stress and come back fitter the next time we yeah. do the exercise exercise. Yeah. Chronic inflammation, on the other hand, is a lower grade response that's occurring over a longer period. So unlike that acute inflammatory response to like a cut or like Courtney said, a hard workout, um, chronic inflammation can be connected more to like our environment, dietary choices, stress levels, and it can be more harmful as it increases our risk of several diseases like diabetes or arthritis, um, even heart disease. So our goal today in the conversation is to share nutrition and lifestyle habits that can reduce inflammation so that we can reduce this chronic low-grade inflammation that can um, affect our health mm -hmm. and vitality in the long term. So today we're going to share six nutrition principles that research has shown can combat inflammation in the body. Principle one is supporting your gut health. So Darian, I know you love talking about digestive health, so I'll let you jump in to explain this one. For sure. Uh, so our gut is an ecosystem of trillions of microorganisms, and some of them can actually promote inflammation, whereas others maybe act to reduce it. But there's a lot of nutrition strategies that we can take on that will help reduce that inflammatory response in our gut health 
and our gut and just help our overall health. So increasing one's fiber take is one of those strategies. This just encourages more health-promoting gut microorganisms that are going to act to create more of a um, safe environment and just help our digestive system feel regular, which thus will reduce that inflammation. Yeah, I often think of fiber as like that food for the mm-hmm. the good exactly. bacteria in the gut. Yep. So Darian, what would be some high fiber foods someone could add if they'd like to boost um, their fiber intake? Oh, there's lots. Um, some of the top fiber sources would be like our oats or chia seeds, avocado, berries and fruits like apple and citrus, uh, whole grains, beans are a big one, um, and even a, po- a favorite popcorn. <laughs> yeah, popcorn is a pretty high fiber food, so it's nice to add mm-hmm. <laughs> as a snack. Um, and of course, like any plant-based food, especially if it's an unprocessed yep. plant-based food, typically will have more fiber versus an animal-based yes. food won't have fiber. So looking towards plant plant-based foods, and then you can always check in on the label or, of Mm -hmm. course, turning to those fruits, veggies, whole grains, beans and lentils, nuts Mm -hmm. and seeds. They'll all have different amounts of fiber, but Darian shared some great specific examples that have a lot of fiber in them. Mm In addition to those fiber foods, fermented foods have also been supported by research um, to support our gut balance. And they do this by promoting the growth of those beneficial bacteria in our gut. So some examples of ferments would be sauerkraut, kimchi, Greek yogurt, kefir, kombucha. Courtney, are there any that I'm missing maybe? No, those are the top ones that come to mind for me. And I always... Um, mentioned to clients who are looking to increase um, their intake of fermented foods, we do need to make sure for certain foods like sauerkraut and kimchi that they're unpasteurized. Mm -hmm. So normally like pasteurization is a wonderful process that um, brings the food to a high temperature to kill any harmful bacteria. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it also kills the good bacteria or the live microorganisms within the fermented food. So if we're looking at adding something like sauerkraut as a fermented food, we want to get the unpasteurized sauerkraut that's in the refrigerated section. So one specific example would be the brand Wild Brine at Mm -hmm. Costco. What about dairy? Yeah, so a lot of our clients ask us, like, should I be cutting out dairy? I've heard that cutting out dairy is, is an important consideration to reduce inflammation. And we actually shared um, dairy as an option to include more of that good bacteria. So we shared plain Greek yogurt as an option to increase your intake of these beneficial live microorganisms. Um, and so you might be wondering, like, oh, I've heard not to have dairy, but now mm-hmm. you're telling me maybe have dairy to reduce inflammation. And so when we dug into the research, the current research we found didn't actually link dairy to being pro-inflammatory. And there actually was some evidence um, that dairy has a weak has weak anti-inflammatory properties, especially these fermented forms of dairy like the kefir or the, the yogurts. Um, but of course, if you have a lactose intolerance or a dairy allergy. In that case, dairy actually could promote inflammation in the gut. So this is a great example of nutrition being so individualized. Like in some cases, we might recommend fermented dairy as a great food to support gut health. And in other cases, it might not be the best food for you. Um, So that's where we recommend consulting with a dietitian to figure out what are the specific foods that are going to work for your Mm -hmm. body and produce these anti-inflammatory benefits. Exactly. You know, nutrition so nuanced. So like Courtney said, it is nice to have that extra support and guiding you what's going to be working for you specifically. And, you know, the big thing here is that that inflammation, it does just create some gut dysbiosis. So it's an imbalance of those good and bad bacteria. But by including some of those high fiber fermented foods into our diet, it really can help create a balanced, more healthy gut microbiome. 
Principle two, eat a rainbow of vegetables and fruits. Yeah, so when we say eat a rainbow, really we mean eat lots of different colors.、Mm-hmm. And it's because all of these different colors contain different phytonutrients and antioxidants that have been shown to exert an anti inflammatory property.、Um, so, antioxidants specifically、um, are really helpful for reducing inflammation because essentially antioxidants can help reduce free radicals in、mm-hmm. the body. So, free radicals are essentially these unstable molecules that kind of move around the body. And they steal electrons, if you can go all、yep. the way back to chemistry, <laughs> which causes some oxidative stress or damage in the body. So, by eating foods with antioxidants, these antioxidants neutralize the free radicals by donating an electron. So, essentially, an antioxidant has an elect- extra electron and then it donates it to the free radicals that are. Moving around the body and stealing electrons. So, I know this is a lot of science, but essentially, when we're eating foods rich、mm-hmm. in antioxidants,、um, we help to reduce inflammation in the body. It's pretty crazy to think that's going on in our body just and can be impacted simply by our food choices. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of lifestyle factors、mm-hmm. that increase free radicals in the body, like、yeah. exposing your body to ultraviolet rays, air pollution, and smoke. But then it also just is a natural byproduct、yeah. of metabolism. So, Um, these free radicals are in our body, and if we can consume more antioxidants, it's a great strategy to help neutralize them. So, Courtney, you mentioned eating a rainbow of colors. Why is that important? Yeah, so all of the different colors in vegetables and fruits essentially have different phytochemicals and antioxidant content. So, for example, red veggies and fruits like tomatoes, apples, red bell peppers, and watermelons, they have lycopene in them, and lycopene is a specific antioxidant.、Mm-hmm. Um, but then the greens have different antioxidants and phytonutrients, and yellow and orange and blue and purple have anthocyanins. And so there's just a range of antioxidants and phytochemicals. Like this is kind of an umbrella term. So、mm-hmm. if We're getting lots of different colors and we're getting lots of variety. Plus,、yeah. it's kind of like tasty and visually appealing to have a、it、colorful pretty, plate. Yeah. 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 So, eat the rainbow. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Principle three. You've heard this before, but balance your blood sugars. This comes up in every single、yes. <laughs> podcast, but、um, a nutrition pattern that has a high glycemic index, which essentially just means you're Spiking your blood sugars.、Mm-hmm. Um, this has been associated with elevated risk of inflammatory chronic conditions and markers of inflammation.、Um, mm-hmm. So, for this reason, if we can focus on consuming more carbohydrates that are rich in fiber, we can lower the glycemic index. So, essentially, like lowering that spike in blood sugar. But then we can also pair our carbohydrates with things like proteins and fats, with, which further delay that breakdown or lower the glycemic load. So, this comes back to the fundamental four principles that we often share in this podcast. So, the fundamental four formula is essentially、um, a meal building tool we use with our clients to help them understand how to build a plate that is not only rich in antioxidants and phytonutrients that we talked about before,、um, but is also going to delay the release of glucose from the meal. So, they're having、mm-hmm. or experiencing stable blood、yeah. sugars versus these pro inflammatory spikes in、mm-hmm. blood sugar. And just to piggyback on with the blood sugars and back to our gut discussion for a quick second, having chronically high、um, blood sugars or having those spikes in our day actually is going to change again some of that gut bacteria. And I've actually seen some studies where it just shows us more prone to having food sensitivities and、um, less tolerance to different foods because those blood sugars are spiking so greatly and just not. 
creating that nice um, environment for her stomach. Yeah, it's so interesting how all of these principles mm-hmm. kind of cross over they with do. each other. Like if you're eating more fruits and vegetables for the antioxidant yep. and phytonutrient content, you're also getting more fiber, yep. which then supports the blood sugars and then supports the gut. Exactly. So they are all working together. Yeah. But when it comes specifically to blood sugar mm-hmm. support, we like to use the fundamental four as a strategy. And so it includes four food groups. Uh, we say fiber-filled carbohydrates, proteins, fats, and what we call volume foods, which is really um, those non-starchy vegetables and fruits like berries that are lower in, lower in carbohydrate, um, but really rich in these antioxidants yeah. and phytonutrients. Fiber. So Darian, could you describe a meal that would have these four food groups and be in alignment to supporting blood sugars? Yeah, honestly, a simple one would be like an eggs and toast breakfast. Have some eggs, maybe add some egg whites in there for extra protein, a whole grain toast or some fruit for your fiber-filled carbohydrate. Maybe you saute some spinach or tomatoes for your veggies. Add some avocado on your toast for some healthy fats. Boom. Done. (laughs) (laughs) So we find clients have unique preferences. So we're always helping them figure out what are the foods you love within Mm -hmm. the food groups and how can we use those um, to build a balanced plate that you enjoy eating. Principle four, spice up your life. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm just like a touch too young to really appreciate Spice (laughs) Girls. Like I remember them a little bit when I was like five, but not fully a Spice Girls fan. But we can get behind spicing up your your life when it comes to herbs and spices, which are actually very rich in antioxidants and phytonutrients, which is why we recommend Mm -hmm. adding spices and herbs to meals um, to reduce inflammation in the body. Yeah, and... um, there's a lot of common ones you might even have in your cupboards already that have so many impactful nutrition qualities that are simple to add to your meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know this is an area where I personally could improve on. I Me find too. sometimes I cook with spices and herbs, but sometimes my meals mm-hmm. are so simple that I'm not even using them. But honestly, even just like adding some cinnamon to some oatmeal mm-hmm. or, you know, sprinkling in some thyme or rosemary into a meat sauce. Darian mm-hmm. has an awesome meat sauce on the blog, by <laughs> yeah. the way, that you could use these herbs and spices in. But essentially, they're just a really easy way to add um, these beneficial phytonutrients and antioxidants. And yeah, I j- it wasn't really something I knew about until more recently that herbs and spices are just really rich in nutrition. Mm, I feel yeah. like this is like a low buy-in for a high payoff mm-hmm. situation here. Yeah, not just flavor, but also nutrition. Yeah. Principle number five is including omega-3 fats. Yeah, I think this is one people hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. Omega-3s perhaps are a little bit of a buzzword, um, but I feel like they earn (laughs) the buzz. They do. Yeah, they're important. And so um, omega-3s have actually, or consuming omega-3s has been associated with um, reducing inflammation in the body. Um, But when we think about omega-3s, we really need to understand and differentiate um, the two types. Mm -hmm. So one type is found in marine life. So this one is called EPA and DHA. The shortened names. Yeah, the shortened names. Sorry, I'm not going to attempt. pentanoic acid and decosahexanoic <laughs> acid. A little bit of a Good job. <laughs> long words to say. So EPA and DHA yeah. is what we call them. 
Yeah, so these ones are found in our fatty fish, like salmon and trout. Definitely a little bit harder to get enough of unless we're regularly consuming those fatty fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can even find them in algae as a plant Mm -hmm. source. So Yeah, Yeah, so the EP and DHA are the active forms that have the anti-inflammatory benefits. Um, But we can also get omega-3 from plant forms. It's called ALA or alpha-linoleic acid. And it's an important fat, Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't have the same anti-inflammatory benefits. There is some research that ALA can be converted to EPA and DHA, Mm -hmm. which is uh, the biologically active Active, form, but it's only at about a 10% rate or sometimes even less. Like they've even shown like down to 2%. So um, ALA can be found in things like walnuts, chia seeds, hemp hearts, and ground flax. So all amazing foods to include. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to offer you fats, which help support your blood sugars, which we talked about. They're going to have fiber for your gut. So really great to include. We just wouldn't necessarily include them um, to achieve the benefits of reducing inflammation that we're talking about here. For that, we really need the EPA and DHA from marine life. In some cases, we have found that people just don't enjoy eating uh, omega-3 rich fish. And so sometimes in those cases, we will recommend an omega-3 supplement. Um, So we talked all about omega-3 supplements in our supplement podcast. So we definitely recommend um, listening to that podcast. Um, But when you're choosing an omega-3 supplement, there are some things that we need to consider, especially with the dose and making sure it's having enough of the EPA and DHA that we want. We recommend 1,000 milligrams Mm -hmm. combined EPA, DHA. So this is where I think consulting with a registered dietitian who can help you choose the right supplement if you decide to supplement because you're not regularly consuming fatty fish. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely don't need to supplement. But again, just a consideration um, for people who don't enjoy Mm omega-3 rich fish, Mm -hmm. which is something we've come across as dietitians. So for consuming more fish, a common concern is, you know, should we be worried about the mercury content? Yeah. So most of the omega-3 rich fish sources are pretty low in mercury. And when we're looking at high mercury content fish, it's actually usually fish higher up the food chain. Mm -hmm. And they aren't fish, at least for me, that I commonly (laughs) consume or see clients commonly consume. So they're things like shark and swordfish and barramundi. I was just (laughs) looking this up before. So I don't see a lot of people in Saskatchewan eating these types of fish. But if you do, then you like would want to consider the mercury content there. There is some forms of tuna that are a bit higher in mercury. So albacore or sometimes it's called white tuna is higher. So that mm-hmm. would be something to monitor. Right. If you're pregnant, you wouldn't want to consume that type of tuna. And then if for other individuals, they just want to consume it no more than once a week. Um, but most of the types of tuna that we get at the grocery store here in Saskatchewan are lower in mercury. So um, light tuna, skipjack tuna, those are our all low mercury yeah. content forms of fish. So if you're interested in seeing the omega-3 content of some of these fish, you can head over to the blogs. We'll have some infographics included in the blog article. Yeah, so just head to vitalitynutrition.ca and search nutrition and inflammation. The blog will pull up and then, yeah, you can identify those food sources like Darian said. So our bottom line here is aim to enjoy fatty fish as often as you can. But if you're someone who doesn't enjoy those omega-3 rich fish, you might want to consult with a dietitian to consider whether a omega-3 supplement is right for you. 
Principle number six is limit omega-6s. So this is in contrast to our inclusion of omega-3s. Yeah, so omega-6 fats have actually been associated with increasing infl- inflammation, mm. and they also compete with the same pathways of omega-3s. So if we're consuming right. more omega-6s, we're essentially kind of like pushing out those omega-3s right. and their ability to reduce inflammation in the body. So omega-6 fats are found in oils like sunflower oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, corn oil, and grapeseed oil. Um, So really, we find them in a lot of restaurant meals, deep fried foods, commercial baking, and processed foods, as they tend to use these types of oils more for the production of of these meals or foods. Um, But then, of course, if you cook with those types of oils, you'll also be incorporating more omega-6s that way. Um, And it's not that we're saying omega-6s are bad Mm -hmm. and you should never consume them. We still need omega-6s in our diet. They're just very easy to come by. So our goal is when we can, we want to reduce those omega-6s so that we can really optimize um, the function of the omega-3s we're consuming. Right. And I think it's important to note, too, that um, most oils have a blend of both of the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Some of them, like Courtney said, are just like a lot higher in the omega-6s versus omega-3 ratio, whereas others um, might be vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, if you head to the the website, we actually have a really great infographic Mm -hmm. by the canola growers where they break down the fatty acid composition of different oils and fats. So you can easily see which fats have more omega-6. Yeah, and something I commonly just like hear around in the nutrition world is like, don't eat canola oil Mm -hmm. because it's very high in omega-6s. And actually, canola oil, it does have some omega-6, but it's actually not extremely high like compared to some of the other oils so i mean i always say get a diversity of oil but it's kind of interesting um to look at this infographic and really compare and understand which foods have more omega-6s and then potentially watching for ways where you might reduce those in your diet the bottom line here is we want to limit omega-6 oils in the diet when possible to achieve a more favorable ratio of the inflammatory omega-6 oils compared to anti-inflammatory omega-3 fats. Bonus tip, <laughs> aim for whole foods first. Yeah, so I really wanted to include this tip because when we dig into like common tips for reducing inflammation, it's often really geared towards what we shouldn't mm-hmm. be eating. Like avoid processed foods, avoid sugars, avoid omega-6 fats, which we did share a little bit about. And and while certainly when it comes to reducing inflammation, there is a component component where it is supportive to limit these types of foods. But really our mindset here at Vitality Nutrition is to focus on adding whenever yeah. we can. So this tip to add whole foods first, unprocessed foods that are rich in these fibers, antioxidants, phytonutrients, omega-3s. We love this mindset and we find when clients are focused on what they can add, they naturally like push out or display some of those more processed foods yeah. that might may be promoting inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. It's a a lot nicer way to think about it, too. It's like, these are all the things I can add to my diet versus all the things we have to take away. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, like, there will be times where we enjoy a meal that's perhaps Mm -hmm. pro-inflammatory. Like, maybe we're having some cake that we enjoy and it's low in fiber. It doesn't have any of these phytonutrients (laughs) and antioxidants, probably doesn't have any omega-3s. But I still think there's value in enjoying foods like this in our life, especially if we've talked about this before, offering us connection to other values and bringing, you know, 
connection to people or like creating memories or, you know, that nostalgic component of food. Like there's definitely a place for that. So I just wanted to mention this because I think, you know, we can really get into the science of nutrition and how it supports our physical body, Mm -hmm. which is so, so important. But we don't want to completely disconnect from how food might you know, offer us support for our emotional or social health. So a bottom line for this takeaway is focus on building your diet around whole food sources like grains, starches, proteins, vegetables, and fruits to reduce inflammation that will naturally displace pro-inflammatory processed foods. Now that we've covered some nutrition principles to reduce inflammation, let's dive into some additional lifestyle strategies. Our first tip is to enjoy movement because research has shown that an inactive lifestyle can increase the risk of inflammatory related diseases. And some studies have actually found that even just 20 minutes of exercise a day can be enough to produce an anti-inflammatory response. MS can be really anything you enjoy doing, going for a walk, a hike. Some people like doing group classes or, you know, playing different sports or have their strength training regimen, something that you just genuinely enjoy. Yeah, and that's what I like to come back um, too with clients like some people might love going to the gym mm-hmm. and working out whereas other people love playing sports. So you want to choose what you enjoy yeah. so that you actually stick with it. Tip number two, don't forget those rest days. Yeah, so earlier in the podcast, we talked about how exercise increases acute inflammation, which is really good because that stress on the body is what, um, you know, stimulates it to grow and repair Mm. through this process of inflammation. Um, So in this case, inflammation is great. But if we're never taking rest days, we're never really giving our body a true opportunity to heal and repair. So then we actually are kind of chronically inflamed. So we don't want to forget those rest days because they are a really important part of not only experiencing experiencing gains from the hard work that you're putting into the gym, but also just keeping inflammation um, in a more balanced place, so to speak. Tip number three is eat until satisfied. Yeah, so this tip definitely could have gone under our nutrition umbrella, but we've thrown it into the lifestyle considerations um, because it is more of like a behavioral Mm -hmm. approach to eating. So overnutrition has been linked to elevated levels of glucose Mm -hmm. and free fatty acids in the bloodstream, which then can increase the expression of pro-inflammatory markers. Um, So of course, while it's totally normal to overeat at times, um, something we like to do at Vitality Nutrition is help our clients understand their unique body signals so they know what it feels like when they're hungry and when they need to fuel. And then while they're eating, they're interpreting those cues to know what it feels like to eat until satisfied, Mm -hmm. but not maybe like too full or stuffed. So if a client finds they're having a hard time or not great at identifying those hunger and fullness cues, what are some um, ways you would support them in identifying those? Yeah. So one really good tip is to slow down if you are someone who eats really quickly. And that just gives you some time to interpret as the signals of like feeling hungry Mm. are shifting to feeling satisfied or even like politely full is a term I like to use. Um, So I know I kind of I'm a faster eater. So just bringing a little bit of intention to my eating speed helps me check in with those cues as I'm moving through the meal to know like, okay, am I hungry and maybe I need to go back for seconds or am I starting to get full and maybe I 
I'm actually stopping and leaving food yeah. behind on my plate, which for some people I know can be a challenge because maybe they were conditioned as a young child, like mm-hmm. don't leave food on your plate, but we can always pack up that food and enjoy it later Definitely. if we need to. Yeah. Another tip um, I'll sometimes give clients is to take a break at the halfway point of their meal. So when they're done, you know, half of their plate, they might just set their fork down, take a little pause and just give their body and brain some time to to catch up. I know sometimes it takes a while for the gut to send those signals of fullness or or feeling satisfied to the brain. So that little break just gives us a chance to check in and then we can decide if we need to continue eating or how much we need to continue eating to feel satisfied, but not too full after our meal. Yeah, and one more tip would be to eat electronic-free or even eating with others whenever possible. I find, you know, eating without distractions like electronics can help us tune into our body a little bit better versus, you know, I know I like to watch YouTube actually (laughs) when I eat if I'm eating alone, but then it's like all of a sudden I'm my plate's gone. I'm like, what happened? I don't even remember eating this food. I was like so into this video I was watching. So that would be an example of like the distraction of Mm. electronics disconnecting me from my body cues. Um, But then, yeah, I find eating with others tends to slow down your eating a bit. You're like taking that break and chatting. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be a great way perhaps for some to slow down and just connect to their body. So they're interpreting Mm. their hunger and fullness cues. Tip number four is to limit alcohol. Yeah, so you might have heard that red wine is, you know, a great beverage to consume to reduce inflammation. And that's because it's high in an antioxidant called resveratrol. And so it is true that that wine can decrease inflammation. But overall, most of the research actually says that excess alcohol um, impairs liver function, which then can kind of make it more difficult for the body to get rid of toxins. So overall, we find that alcohol is more pro-inflammatory than it is anti-inflammatory inflammatory. Tip number five, an incredibly important one, manage stress. Yeah, so there's actually research that excessive stress can contribute to inflammation and that the stress can even alter people's food preferences towards more pro-inflammatory food choices. I know that's the case for me. Like if I'm really stressed, I don't find myself Mm -hmm. craving my same pattern of eating. Like the types of foods I want are quite different. So of course, we're all unique when it comes to which stress management techniques work best for us. So sometimes, you know, when we're working with clients, we do need to encourage them to enlist in the support of other healthcare professionals who are experts in advising them Um, Mm -hmm. with specific strategies that can help manage stress. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, throwing it back to the gut again, like stress impacts our gut so greatly that, again, it can actually, I find like your tolerance to certain foods even go down or more sensitivities um, can increase when you're experiencing that stress. Mm -hmm. Tip number six, prioritize sleep. Yeah. So we know that a great night's sleep uh, makes us feel fueled and energized, but it's also been shown that a disturbed sleep pattern over the long term can increase markers of inflammation. Mm-hmm. So as part of our nutrition coaching package, I like we emphasize sleep so much with yeah. our clients and support them with not only the nutrition habits that can help improve sleep, but also other lifestyle habits that promote sleep. We just know that sleep is so important for so many reasons and, you know, it even can influence inflammation in the body. Tip seven, avoid individual food intolerances and allergies. 
So we know that with nutrition, there's a no one size fits all approach. And that's when working with dietitians can become um, quite helpful for helping clients identify those individual food intolerances and allergies. So for example, um, garlic, it help, may help reduce inflammation due to its phytonutrient content, but in some people who maybe are struggling with IBS, um, garlic might be a high trigger for them. So that's when it's important for us to find those foods that aren't quite working with them. Yeah. Another example would be, you know, we shared fermented dairy as, mm-hmm. you know, a beneficial food to add to support the gut microbiome. But then for some people, they might not tolerate um, the proteins in dairy yeah. or the lactose in dairy. So in that case, it perhaps isn't the best food for them to yeah. add to reduce inflammation. Another question we get with the food intolerance aspect is, is gluten a pro-inflammatory food? Yeah, and it's kind of similar with the example where if you have an intolerance or allergy to gluten, then it certainly is pro-inflammatory. But for a lot of people, foods that contain gluten are actually a great source of fiber. Um, And so in these populations, gluten or foods that contain gluten can be anti-inflammatory because it's just another food source that helps to support their blood sugar and offer them those gut-supporting beneficial fibers. So again, coming back to that no no Mm one-size-fits-all, but gluten in and of itself isn't pro-inflammatory in all populations. Exactly. So again, nutrition is highly individualized, not just even from like the foods that reduce or promote inflammation, but also just like personal preferences and foods you enjoy. So like Darian said, working with a dietitian can help you identify those allergies and tolerances, but also find a pattern of eating that works for your lifestyle and your, and the, your food preferences. Tip eight, consult with a dietitian before adopting an intermittent fasting schedule. Yeah. So I think the most common questions I get as a dietitian when it comes to reducing inflammation is, should I cut Mm -hmm. dairy? Should I cut gluten? And should I start intermittent fasting? And so when we look into the research, time-restricted eating, which is a form of intermittent fasting that involves confining your eating window to a short, uh, shortened window of the day, um, there is some research that eating with this shortened window can reduce markers of oxidative stress. And one study found that consuming all of your calories within an eight-hour window um, in conjunction actually with resistance training improved some biomarkers of inflammation. Um, so I wanted to bring this up since it is a common yeah. question, but from our experiences as dietitians, in a lot of cases, restricting your eating to a condensed window can be difficult to fit into people's Mm -hmm. lifestyles. It can cause them to miss out on opportunities to consume beneficial nutrients. Um, For a lot of women, it can negatively impact their hormone function. Um, And eating within this condensed window may not provide the energy you require for your lifestyles or for your workout schedule. In some cases, too, with these like very strict um, nutrition protocols, um, we have found that it can negatively impact people's mindsets and lead to disordered eating patterns, which then is just not beneficial at all for our health. It contributes to that stress, which I mean, stress is pro-inflammatory. So we did want to talk about time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting because it is a common question. Um, But we do recommend consulting with a dietitian before you adopt this regimen because it is really important that it fits in with your lifestyle if you do adopt it and that you're still meeting your nutrition needs and it's going to essentially work for you and it doesn't work for everyone yeah
In this podcast, we shared many nutrition principles and tips to combat inflammation in the body. But to summarize, we wanted to share um, the seven key action steps you can take now to um, adopt an anti-inflammatory diet pattern. Mm -hmm. So Darian, what are the action items? Support your gut by eating fiber and fermented foods. Eat a variety of colors of vegetables and fruit. Balance your blood sugars with the four food groups. Add spices and herbs when cooking. Include omega-3 rich marine life like fatty fish. Limit omega-6 oils when possible. And focus on building your diet around whole foods. So if you'd like to m- learn more about reducing inflammation, you can head to our blog at vitalitynutrition.ca where we've written these tips out in uh, article form. And if you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can support us by sharing this episode with a family, friend, or coworker. Thanks for spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well. Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.